But what we want to celebrate now is that we have a God who is the one true God, and he has spoken. He has spoken to us in his word. And so if you would stand with me as we read today's scripture reading and join me, it is in Matthew 7, 1 through 6, Matthew 7, 1 through 6. And if you need a pew Bible, it's in front of you, and it's on page 965, 965. We stand because when we read the Bible, God is speaking to us. Listen to God as he speaks to us through Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Listen to the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we again are humbled that you would condescend to send your Son to live a life that we could not live, to die a death we owed, but were not worthy of dying and to rise and to reign at your right hand to give us the gift of salvation by grace through faith. But to think that you would speak to us in words that we can understand is totally beyond, really, our comprehension. And so we ask you to open our hearts to what we have heard. Open our hearts to the preaching of your word. And may we listen and receive it, not as the words of men, but for what it actually is, your words to us. We rejoice, Lord, in your glory, your goodness and grace. Now help us to understand and apply that which we have read in Matthew 7. And we give you the glory and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Years ago, the best-known verse in the Bible was John 3.16. I'm sure most of you here could still quote that verse by memory. But today, the best-known verse might just be what Chris read for us here in our text in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. Now, as we begin this morning, I begin with a confession. I confess that I am a, quote, secret judger. I cover it up pretty well most of the time, but when it comes down to it, I am judgmental. In fact, here's a few things I'm judgmental about. I'm judgmental of you if you are a Cardinals fan or if you're a Patriots fan. I'm judgmental of you if you think cats are better than dogs. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And if you don't like barbecue, I don't have a place in my heart for you. I'm a secret judger. On a more serious note, though, judge not is music to our modern ears. And yet no verse is more 
misunderstood than perhaps this verse here in Matthew 7, verse 1. You could easily argue that Matthew 7, 1 is by far and away the most misapplied verse in the Bible. People who know very little of the Bible, it is amazing, they know this verse in the Bible. In fact, Jesus' words are somewhat like a bullet ready to be fired at a moment's notice. Judge not that you be not judged. So today, judging others is seen as the ultimate sin in our culture. In fact, there's no greater wrong today than to judge someone's actions in words or belief system. And so for this reason, I would suggest that those who perhaps quote this verse the most are the ones who misunderstand this verse the most. People love, judge not, because it's a handy way of saying, you can't tell me I'm wrong. Those who misapplied this verse often use it as a a shield for sin or a, a barrier to keep others at bay, allowing them to justify living as they please without any regard for moral boundaries or accountability. And their objections sound familiar. We've heard them all before. Who are you to judge? Aren't we all sinners? What gives you the right to make moral judgments about someone else? Isn't that God's job? Didn't Jesus say, judge not? So when we hear Jesus say these words, when Jesus tells us, judge not that you be not judged, is this what he has in mind? The short answer is no. So what did Jesus mean then? Well, that's what we want to discover this morning as we continue in our series through the Sermon on the Mount. You may want to take notes so the person beside you doesn't judge you and think you're not serious about Jesus. So here's the main idea, if you want to take notes, of what Jesus is teaching in these verses here in Matthew chapter 7. To judge or not to judge is the question. And as Christ followers, we are not to relate judgmentally to people, but rather as Christ followers, we are to relate mercifully to people. That is the big idea of what Jesus is saying in these seven verses. The connecting thread, which runs through this particular section of the Sermon on the Mount, and we're entering into a new section, a final section here in chapter 7, is that of relationships. And so if you follow Jesus' logic here, it's quite logical that after describing the Christ follower's character, influence, and righteousness in chapter 5, and then our authenticity in practicing righteous acts and even our priority of treasuring God and trusting God in chapter 7, Jesus now finally focuses on the Christ followers' relationships here in chapter 7, beginning with our relationships with believers and then unbelievers, and especially when it comes to this topic here, this issue of to judge or not to judge. So let's unpack what Jesus teaches here on judging. Notice the command. It's rather simple. The command is this. Don't judge with superiority. That's the command that Jesus is giving to us here as Christ followers. 
So what is Jesus addressing here? This word judge means to separate. It's the idea to choose, to make a distinction. And it's not, as we will see here in a few moments, this word does not always have a negative meaning as people tend to think. There is. There is a judgment that is rather good. It's helpful. And in fact, even commanded. So what did Jesus mean when he said judge not though? Well, first of all, notice this coming up on the screen. Jesus did not mean that we should avoid making judgments. Listen, every day, every day all of us here make hundreds of judgments about things and people that are not necessarily wrong or sinful. There's nothing wrong with saying that a certain movie is a waste of time to go see. There's nothing wrong with saying that liver and onions taste bad. Don't fix that for me for dinner, wife, husband, whatever the case may be. There's nothing wrong with saying that it's right to do one thing and wrong to do another thing. It's not wrong to sit on a jury and render a guilty verdict about someone's crime. Jesus is not saying that it is a sin to form an opinion about someone based on their behavior and beliefs or that you can never tell someone in a loving, gracious way, that they are wrong. Jesus' command to judge not is, is not a retreat from absolute truth. Nor is it a retreat uh, from the courage to call someone out for what they are doing in life, how they are living, the decisions they are making. Some people think, though, that this verse commands no judging at all. That this verse prohibits any discernment of a person's life or identifying that certain actions or beliefs or behaviors are wrong. In this case, people actually use this verse, quote it back to you to a claim that identifying someone's actions as sinful and calling them out or account for is judging. And therefore, it's forbidden. But Jesus' command here cannot mean that. It can't mean that we never make judgments in any sense at any time. And here's why. Let me show you right from the scriptures here. Just a few verses after his statement on judging, Jesus says in verse 6, look at it in your Bibles, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine or the pig. And so we cannot obey Jesus' command here unless we what? Unless we judge or unless we discern who are the dogs and who are the pigs. We'll come back to this verse at the end. Just a few verses later, Jesus makes this statement in verses 13 and 14. He says, the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And many are going this way. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That doesn't sound like, hey, whatever way you want to travel in life is fine. We're going to all end up at the same place. Then Jesus warns in verses 15 and 16, and we're still in the same chapter here in Matthew 7. He says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. And so this too requires judgment or discernment on our part. Jesus says you can actually see, you can watch people's lifestyle, their behavior, their belief system, 
That is their fruit and discern what kind of person they are. And in all of these cases, judgments are being made about various individuals and their way of life. So despite what our culture thinks, Jesus can't mean that we never make judgments about people or that making judgments is somehow wrong in and of itself. In fact, as Christ followers, Jesus is telling us here that we actually have an obligation. We have a responsibility to exercise judgment about people, to discern between right and wrong, to discern between truth and error, to discern between goodness and evil. And so Jesus is not advocating a moral free-for-all where no behavior is judged. And where we all just kind of live together in blissful, peaceful tolerance and acceptance. So if Jesus is telling us not to abandon moral discernment on our part as Christ followers, then what is Jesus saying here in these verses? Well, that brings us to our second point. Notice this here. Jesus did mean we should avoid being judgmental. The kind of judgment we are to avoid here is hypocritical condemning judgment. And there is a world of difference between being discerning and being hypocritical and condemning. A hypocritical, judgmental spirit, listen, it is destructive. It's a person who judges others harshly or quickly or unfairly or severely and does so with a desire or with a motivation, a goal to harm them, to condemn them, to hurt them, and even tear them down. A judgmental person revels in criticism and expects to find fault in others. It's kind of like the man who sat watching his preacher neighbor nail up a trellis in his backyard. And the preacher, seeing him, watching him intently from his yard, asked, oh, oh, you're trying to pick up some pointers on carpentry. To which his neighbor replied, nope, just waiting to see what a preacher says when he hits his thumb with a hammer. <laughs> Listen, when a critic discovers faults in another person, he feels this somewhat spiteful satisfaction. And sees the worst possible motives in the person's actions. We actually have a, a, an example of this in God's word. When Jesus told the story about a Pharisee, the judgmental person, and a tax collector over in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 12. Listen to what he says. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And then he gives the story. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, and even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So did you notice, did you hear how the Pharisee expressed gratitude to God while expressing, at the same time, his contempt for the tax collector. Where where does that attitude come from? Well, such sinful judgment comes from an attitude of superiority and even pride. It comes from a proud heart that demonstrates itself in a critical, condemning spirit. We don't have 
the right to play God, though, by passing final judgment on people as if we know somehow God's final verdict on people's lives. Listen, final judgment belongs to the Lord and not to us. This kind of judgmentalism sees the faults of others more easily and clearly than our own. But we need to remember what Proverbs 21.2 says. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. This means we are not to judge the motives of other people. Listen, try as we might. We only see the outside. God alone sees the heart. We might be able to judge what people do, but we cannot judge why they do it. We might be able to judge what people say, but we cannot judge why they say it. Listen, only God can judge the the hidden secrets of the heart. So leave that judgment to him. Think about it. We, we don't even know our own heart, much less the heart of anyone else. Listen to what Jeremiah, the prophet, says in 17.9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? God is the one who knows the heart. We can summarize Jesus on judging in this manner. It's kind of like making judgments versus being judgmental. And here's the difference in a summary form. You judge someone not when you discern their position but when you dismiss them as a person made in the image of God. In other words, Jesus does not forbid the evaluation of others, the evaluation of their actions, their behaviors, their beliefs, their thinking, what they say, what they do, but he does forbid the condemnation of others. Condemning goes beyond saying this is wrong to saying I don't want you around anymore. It's what you do after you tell someone the truth that determines whether or not you are condemning them. And Jesus is commanding us here. As those who identify with him and his rule and submit to his rule as the king, and we are kingdom citizens, Christ followers, and Jesus is now saying to us here, he's commanding us to stop, not not to stop discerning judgment, rather he's commanding us to avoid condemning judgment judgment and here's why he gives us a reason here in this text and that leads us to the second point here is that you will be judged likewise you will be judged likewise jesus has given us a pragmatic reason not to judge in other words if you don't like being judged yourself then stop judging other people have you noticed that we often want a lot more mercy and understanding than we are willing to give to others We want people to understand what we meant to say, what we meant to do even. We want people to bear with us when we're struggling. We want people to show us mercy when we make mistakes and even sin. But let's be honest. We're all in the same boat here. So often our judgments are a lot harsher and quicker when it comes to other people. And for this reason, Jesus now says in verses 1 through 2 here, in the rest of the verse, he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounced, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, you will be, it will be measured to you. So what does this mean? We'll notice this on the screen in your notes here. 
we could say it this way, the judgment one uses is like a boomerang. And it will come back on the one who judges. In other words, Jesus says God will judge us with the same type of judgment we use to judge others. In Matthew 5, verse 7, going back to the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, in the Beatitudes section of this sermon, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In other words, if you are merciful in your dealings with other people, and specifically with their faults, their mistakes, their failures, their sin, you will receive mercy when the Lord deals with you. And so our judging is like a boomerang, a taste of your own medicine, so to speak. In fact, listen to what Paul writes. Listen to what he says in Romans 2, verses 1 and 2. He says, you, therefore, you have no excuse you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. In essence, Paul is saying this. In passing judgment on another person, you're condemning yourself. Why? Because you, the judge, practice the very same things you are now judging in that person. So if we hope to receive mercy from God, then we better show mercy to others. So why? Why would God use our own judgment as a means of judgment on us? Here's what Jesus is doing here with this. He is exposing to us. He's bringing to light and exposing for us the utter foolishness and even unfairness of our hypocritical judgment of other people. And he's holding it up for us and saying, look, Jesus wants us to think twice about what we think and say and conclude about others. He wants us to realize that judgment is coming to all of us and we would be foolish to think that God doesn't take note of our self-righteous and merciless standards that we're now applying to others. Sinclair Ferguson, who is an author, he writes this. He says it well when he writes, the heart that has tasted the Lord's grace and forgiveness will always be restrained in its judgment of others. Why? Listen to what he says. It has seen itself deserving judgment and condemnation before the Lord, and yet, instead of experiencing his burning anger, He has tasted God's infinite mercy. That's what Jesus has done for us in the gospel. So if we should avoid judging other people with an attitude of superiority, then what should we do then? How should we live in our relationships with one another and even a lost world? Well, Jesus gives us the principle here. He says, first of all, then judge yourself. Judge yourself first. That is the overarching principle we see from Jesus Christ. And to make this point, he now uses an illustration that his listeners would find very funny. It's a very familiar illustration that we all have heard of. It's an illustration of specks and logs. In fact, notice this in verse 3, what Jesus says. He asks this rhetorical question. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? But do not notice the log that is in your own eye. 
And so Jesus is making a very serious point with a very funny illustration. He says, basically, picture a guy with a speck in his eye. And if you have a speck in your eye, you really do have a problem. A speck or splinter in the eye, listen, that's not easy to live with. It's annoying. It can cause problems over time. It has to be dealt with. And so you want someone to remove it. And so lo and behold, here comes help. Here comes Mr. Log in the eye. And he has in his eye one of those main beams that holds up a house. But there's no way that he could possibly get close enough to you or to see clearly enough to remove the speck in your eye. To remove the speck, you need to get face-to-face with someone and look closely and carefully. Now, here's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. Through this illustration, he's telling us three things with this one illustration. First of all, Jesus is attacking or rebuking our hypocrisy of fault-finding. It's ironic, at least it is to me, perhaps it is to you, that Jesus speaks of other people's faults in terms of what? Specs. And our faults in terms of logs. You see, Jesus knows something here that we tend to forget. He knows that we, we tend to exaggerate. We often inflate the faults of others while at the same time underestimating our own. We, we think our faults are just somehow, oh, they're little mistakes. They're, they're specks in people's eyes. But other people's faults, well, they're horrible. They're sinful. They got big logs coming out of their eyes. Jesus also knows that we tend to get upset over small issues in other people's lives. And yet, We so easily overlook the big issues in our own lives. You see, the problem Jesus is identifying here is that we are often more critical with others than we are ourselves. Reminds me of the Peanuts comic strip when Linus asked his lovely sister Lucy, why are you always so anxious to criticize me? And Lucy answered, I just think I have the knack for seeing other people's faults. Well, what about your own faults, asked Linus, to which Lucy replied, I have a knack for overlooking them. That's us. And so Jesus attacks, he rebukes our hypocrisy of fault finding when he asks this question in verse 4. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is the log in your own eye? You see, fault finding has no place in our relationships, at home, at the workplace, at church, wherever it may be. One pastor states, fault-finding is the venom of the soul. It destroys our joy, drains our happiness, prevents us from having close friendships. No one likes a fault-finder because no one likes being around a nitpicking critic. How true. In fact, the sin of fault-finding comes partly from spiritual pride in our own lives and even from disguised envy. Fault finders, they don't really care about the speck in the other person's eye. What they care about is building up themselves in their own eyes. Fault finding, though, is a very deadly disease. In fact, if not kept in check, it turns us into self-righteous judges, like the Pharisees of Jesus' day, who expect the worst in others, producing this kind of false benevolence. 
I see you have a speck in your eye. Let me help you with that. And you just hear within that. There's no authenticity. There's no care. There's no love. There's no mercy. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Number two, Jesus then, after rebuking and attacking our own hypocrisy, that he then insists on integrity in our lives first. Now, Jesus is telling us not to be blatant hypocrites. But Jesus is also getting at something more here. He's going deeper. I think Jesus is confronting us for failing to grapple, in other words, with our very own sinfulness when he says in verse 5, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. Now notice that Jesus assumes something here. He assumes the log is in our eye. It's not if there is a log in your eye which obstructs our vision. No wonder Jesus tells us to first take the log out of your own eye before you go about helping someone get the speck out of their eye. And the logic is obvious. I mean, how can we even see to help someone when we still have a log protruding from our eye? You can't. You can't see clearly enough, and you can't get close enough. So the order in which we do things here is crucial. We are to judge ourselves first. Listen, true Christian love is not blind. God never says, ignore the faults of others. But he does say, take care of your own faults first. In other words, Jesus is wanting us to stand in the bathroom and look in the mirror and ask God to show you your own sins. In David's words, in Psalm 139, 23, 24, come to mind, where he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. If we would simply pray that and mean it, we would do a lot more confessing and a lot less condemning of people. And then third... Jesus then, then, and notice the order again, after rebuking our hypocrisy, after insisting on our own integrity, Jesus then commends us to do something. He commends mercy toward one another. Did you notice what Jesus called the judgmental person in verse 5? He calls him a hypocrite, and that's what we are when we judge others without first judging ourselves. But once we have allowed the Holy Spirit, to do his painful surgery on us first. Once we have confessed and we have repented of our own sin, then and only then are we ready to do eye surgery on someone else. Or as Jesus says in the rest of verse 5, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, let me stop here and just say this for our understanding. The alternative to judging is not tolerance or even indifference. It is mercy. It's not ignoring another person's faults. Rather, it is actually showing them the truth of God's word. It is showing them the forgiveness that is available to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's mercy. 
That's the alternative to judging. Mercy means we don't see anyone beyond the bounds of God's grace or beyond the bounds of our own forgiveness. Here's the deal. For us as Christ followers, for us to gaze on the sins of others and not do anything except to gaze on their sins turns us into judgmental Pharisees who are quick to condemn. But once we are cleansed, once we are humbled by the Lord, then we are ready to gently remove the speck from a brother or sister's eye. And let me tell you, most of the time, he or she will be glad for us to do it. Why? Because they know, just as we know, that we are not there to condemn them, but to help them. And after all, a speck is a problem. It needs to be removed. Listen. Jesus is telling us here that, yes, it is unloving as Christ followers to judge your brother in Christ when you have a log protruding from your own eye. But he is also challenging our thinking here as well that it is unloving on our part to leave a speck in your brother's eye. The point that Jesus is getting at here is he is saying to us the speck in your brother's eye, is worth removing. Don't leave it there. In fact, Jesus wants all the logs and all the specks removed. Why? Because he knows that both the speck and the log cause us pain. It prevents us from seeing clearly. It keeps us from seeking the kingdom of God that he has just told us to do in chapter 6. Jesus ends his teaching here on judging with a word of application. And the application is this. Exercise discerning judgment. Exercise discerning judgment. Jesus calls for discernment just after warning us about judgmentalism. And he uses another illustration for us. I love the illustrations that Jesus gives. In fact, Jesus is known for his illustrations, his parables, because we can relate to them. They give truth that we can easily identify. But this illustration may be a little more difficult to identify. Nonetheless, we have an illustration of dogs and pigs. Notice what Jesus says here in verse 6. He says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, I readily admit Jesus' words here are extremely strong. In fact, can be very troubling even to our modern ears. Don Carson helpfully adds this when he writes in his commentary, after warning us against judgmentalism, Jesus warns us against being undiscriminating, especially in our choice of people to whom we present the wonderful riches of the gospel to. However, in seeking to do full justice to this warning, he says we ought not fail to note that five verses are reserved for judgmental people and only one verse for undiscerning people. That ratio reflects an accurate assessment of where the danger lies. So, why then are we not, as Jesus says to us here, 
Why are we not to give what is holy to dogs or throw pearls before pigs? Because after all, today we love our dogs. I have two boxers. I've shared the story before, and I love my girls. God didn't give me girls, so I had to go out and get my own girls. And I love my two dogs. And I'm sure most of you are the same way if you have a dog. We love our dogs as pets. And it is true, we love our pigs for barbecue. After all, we live here in Kansas City, right? But in Jesus' day, listen, dogs and pigs were despised. Dogs were wild hounds that roamed the streets for food. And pigs in Jesus' day were filthy scavengers that ravaged fields. And and both of them were often very vicious and dangerous animals. Again, Don Carson gives this description. He says, Jesus sketches a picture of it for us of a man holding a bag of precious pearls, confronting a pack of hulking hounds and some wild pigs. And as the animals glare hungrily, he takes out his pearls and he sprinkles them on the street. And thinking they are about to gulp some bits of food, the animals pounce on the pearls. Swift delusionment sets in. The pearls are too hard to chew, quite tasteless, and utterly appetized, unappetizing. Enraged now, the wild animals spit out the pearls, turn on the man, and tear him apart. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? The dogs and the pigs, they're not complementary terms. They're actually very derogatory terms. For certain individuals. The dogs and pigs are not simply unbelievers, but persistently antagonistic and vindictive unbelievers. Jesus here is talking about people who openly reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. What he labels as holy and pearls. People who delight not in the truth of Scripture, but only in mocking it and even trampling on it. And in a metaphorical language, Jesus is now commanding us not to share the richest parts of spiritual truth with people who are closed-minded and calloused in their hearts. In other words, he's saying to us, don't waste your words on those who will not listen Otherwise, they will turn on you and attack you. This is the first judgment we are to make. We are to discern here dogs and pigs when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there's also a more general principle underlying this prominent principle what Sinclair Ferguson calls the wisdom of appropriate activity. What he writes is desperately needed in the church today. He says, why do we not cast pearls before pigs? Well, because it is inappropriate to do so. The person who does so does not understand either the value of the pearls or the nature of the pigs. Yet how often we find Christians engaged in activities or behaving in a fashion altogether inappropriate for the gospel. 
or for their position as believers in Christ. It may be well that Jesus is thinking here of this more general application. Now, that right there is cause for meditation. That right there is cause for consideration of how we live as Christ followers in the midst of a fallen world. Let's be honest here. Sometimes we are just not very wise when it comes to living our lives for the sake of the gospel. Some of the activities we may participate in, some of the things we may do or say, hinders our influence for the sake of the gospel. And that is another general principle that Jesus is getting at here. And we, we, in this culture especially, we desperately need the wisdom that the Bible provides us. We need discerning wisdom here in order to exercise discerning judgment, not only with sharing the gospel and discerning who's receptive and who's not. Who are the dogs and the pigs? And you don't know who they are until after you share it with them. But we also need discerning wisdom. We need the wisdom of God to kind of just step back and discern. Is, should I be participating in this? How should I live my life here and over this way? What does this do for the sake of the gospel as a whole? So where do we turn for such wisdom in living as kingdom citizens here on earth? Oh, we turn to our heavenly father, which Jesus emphasized in chapter 6. And now he's going to emphasize it again in verses 7 through 11 that you, we will hear about next Sunday. But listen to what he says in verse 7. Jesus says to us, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. So one of the things I would propose that we desperately need to be asking on a daily basis is what? From God the Father. God, give me wisdom here. Give me discernment as a kingdom citizen on how to live in this world. And Jesus says, ask and it will be given. The key here is to pray for wisdom when it comes to rightly judging ourselves as well as rightly judging others. We need the Spirit's help to avoid judgmentalism. Absolutely. This is a trap we all fall into. We are all prone to a spirit of judgmentalism, and we need to be seeking the Father's help. God, show me my heart. Show me where I have that spirit within me, and rid me of it. As well as we need the Spirit's help in engaging in the loving art of speck removal, because it takes gentleness, it takes mercy, it takes care. We need the Spirit's help to discern even antagonistic hearts as we share the gospel. But we also need the Spirit's help to discern appropriate activities for the sake of the gospel. So let's go to our Heavenly Father in prayer. Let's ask Him for such wisdom to judge rightly. And as we take a moment to respond here, as the musicians come and play through a chorus, I would encourage you to 
to meditate on these heart considerations that are at the bottom of your note even. Heavenly Father, protect us from hypocrisy. Give us the courage to stop excusing the sin in our own lives. Lord, give us integrity. Give us the strength to remove the log from our own eyes. And then, Father, help us to be a people of mercy. Give us the love to share the new life, forgiveness, and freedom from sins that you offer in Christ. Jesus treated people not with condemnation, but with integrity and mercy. And so, Lord, help us to learn from him and then live for him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Musicians are going to play through a chorus, and then when they're done, the praise team will come and lead us in a chorus of song, and then we'll receive our offering and be dismissed.